Being with your changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash changelog. This episode is brought to you by Linode, our cloud server of choice, and we're excited to share they've recently launched dedicated CPU instances. If you have build boxes, CI, CD, video encoding, machine learning, game servers, databases, data mining, or application servers that need to be full duty, 100% CPU all day, every day, then check out Linode's dedicated CPU instances. These instances are fully dedicated and shared with no one else, so there's no CPU steal or competing for these resources with other Linodes. Pricing is very competitive and starts out at 30 bucks a month. Learn more and get started at linode.com slash changelog. Again, linode.com slash changelog. All right, welcome back everyone. This is the Changelog, a podcast featuring the hackers, leaders, and innovators of software development. I'm Adam Stachowiak, editor-in-chief here at Changelog. Today, we're talking with Evan Conrad, and for most of Evan's life, he's suffered from severe panic attacks, often twice per week. Eventually, he stumbled upon a therapy method called Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, or CBT for short, and saw positive results, which led him to create an app called Quark. It's open source, and it allows its users to practice one of the most common formats of CBT. We also mentioned a podcast we're launching in the next few weeks called Brain Science, which is hosted by myself, Adam Stachowiak, and my good friend, Muriel Reese, a doctor in clinical psychology. It's a podcast for the curious that explores the inner workings of the human brain to understand behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and the human condition. It's brain science applied, not just how does the brain work, but what do we know about the brain that can better our lives? Make sure you stay tuned after the show for a special preview of Brain Science. And if you haven't yet, now will be a great time to subscribe to our master feed at changelog.com master. It's one feed to rule them all, plus some extras that only hit the master feed. So Evan, we first met via email back in October. You were trying to solve some podcaster problems and you emailed me recently. And it seems like you've been busy solving some of your own problems since then. Yeah. You have this app called Quirk, which is for CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. We'll get all into that. But first, tell us about yourself and what you've been up to with Quirk. Cool. Uh, so for the good portion of my life, I've had uh, like pretty severe panic attacks. Um, so about like twice a week. I would have an attack and it would be like about an hour to two hours. Uh, and if you've ever like almost been in a car accident and you've like swerved around and then you get this huge rush of adrenaline and mm. like in your chest and like your whole body feels like really warm. And then you start to feel like kind of like you're like afraid, but it's like this extreme physical sensation. If you mix that with the same feeling that you would get after watching a horror movie where like you think that everybody behind you is like about to murder you because you've just watched a horror movie. If you mix those two things together and then you like stretch that out for an hour, that's like basically what a panic attack is, or at least it, what it kind of feels like. And so like I would have these like every two weeks or so. Sorry, I'd have these like twice a week. Would they be triggered by things or is it just happen on a schedule? I'm not sure how this works. So sometimes they're random. Sometimes they just happen. And then sometimes they're like specifically related to disease and uh, vomiting. That's kind of the thing that triggers them generally. Okay. Uh, so the panic is typically like afraid of being somehow like deathly ill or being like about to vomit or some particular thing related to that. And so most of my life, I've been like cycling through different thing after different thing. 
of like different types of treatments. And so like for a while, it's like on SSRIs, which are a medication you can take for it and like seeing different doctors about it and trying to figure out ways to do it. And then in about 2018, I went and I saw like a real therapist that I hadn't really actually seen before. I've typically been more on like the medical side. And I tried this thing called cognitive behavioral therapy. And cognitive behavioral therapy, it's based on the premise that depression and anxiety and panic aren't like a physical thing that you're born with. It's more like instead of it being like a hardware problem, it's like a software problem Mm. and it's something you can fix. And so what cognitive behavioral therapy has you do is it has you record thoughts that you're having and then find effectively logical fallacies with them and then write down like a challenge to that thought and then change the thought into something else. So, for example, if you're like just got out of an interview and you think, oh, God, I took too long to answer that question. That means that I'm going to fail this interview. And if I fail this interview, I'll never get a job anywhere. And if I never got a job anywhere, I must be like really bad at this programmer thing. And if I'm really bad at this programmer thing, I must have like wasted all this time, like learning all of this. And that means I'm dumb. And if you think this way, it's called like a negative automatic thought. So it's something that's happening that your brain is just cycling from thing to thing. And each individual step feels really logical at the time, but it's illogical in the first step. And like each step is kind of this like logical leap to the next thing. Mm. And so what cognitive behavioral therapy has you do is it has you record these and like write these down and then like individually challenge them and say like, is it actually true that if you took too long to answer a question in an interview that you would actually fail that interview? And is it actually true that if you fail this interview, you'll fail all the other ones? Because surely, like, if you're failing one whiteboard question, uh, like, that gives you practice. And so then you can do better in all the other whiteboarding sessions. Uh, and, mm-hmm. like, over time, you'll get better at interviews. And even if you're, like, not going to get a job anywhere, is it, like, really true that, like, it's so absolutely important that you must be a programmer? Like, lots of people aren't programmers. And it's actually okay to not be a programmer. And there's all of these like steps that you can take in each thought that checks whether or not it's actually true. And then when you do this enough, your brain kind of just does this for you. But one of the things about this is it requires a lot of like writing. And so typically the way like a regular therapist might do this is they give you like a workbook and it's like like a printout copy of a bunch of different worksheets that you're supposed to fill out on the fly. And if you're filling out these things on the fly, what happens is people don't actually do it because people will have this thought and they'll be in public and then they won't like take out their workbook and then like a piece of paper and a pen and actually fill out all the columns in the thing. And so a lot of people try this and then it doesn't actually work for them because it's this big bulky thing that you have to do all the place, all over the place. And so like some people solve this with like some apps, there's some apps that you can use And Quirk is basically one of those, but its main goal is to be like the best and the freest. (laughs) I mean, a lot of them, a lot of them are free. I like that. Freest. The openest sourcest. (laughs) Uh, The openest sourcest. So it's an open source version. It's also like truly free. And like by truly free, I mean, like it doesn't have any in-app purchases. It doesn't have any ads. It doesn't like collect your data and sell it somewhere. It's like truly free, not free as in like free but it has a $200 in-app purchase or something it's like really free no cost yeah. right premium and it's doing well it's helping people there's some things that you mentioned there in, in uh that I think are kind of interesting in the fact that you were talking about essentially the way you remap 
truth, essentially, right? Yeah. And there's this uh, there's this term in psychology that essentially is neurons that fire together wire together, and what that means is where your attention and your energy and the things you think about, essentially, what you feed and what is whatever you focus on, like that's that's going to eventually become some sort of truth to you. Oh, absolutely. And that's kind of interesting in the fact that, you know, like the more you dwell on negativity, the more negative you, you become, not because you're a negative person, but because the way the brain works is that the things you totally focus on, the truth you start to essentially determine becomes true, you know? Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like one of the problems with a lot of sort of negative thoughts that people tell themselves, and this is something that cognitive behavioral therapy like specifically tries to treat is that a lot of the things you tell yourself become self-fulfilling prophecies. Yeah. So if you if you're concerned that like you're not going to pass these interviews and then you don't do anything about it because you feel so bad about it, you might end up not passing these interviews. And if you're caught up so much in like the fear of something, it becomes a large portion of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like at the moment, I don't have panic attacks anymore. Like it's been 3 months since my last one and awesome. 3 months since the one before that. And I used to have them every 2 weeks, so it's pretty great. But the thing that's like most different is the amount of your life that you get back. My gosh, yes. And I think I didn't expect that. So let me identify with you real quick because uh, Jared mentioned to me in behind the scenes here in our Slack, we have a DM going on pretty much forever. Um, <laughs> he reminded me, and I, I'm aware of this as well, but you know, I've had similar public concerns. It was agoraphobia. It was or a mm. variation of it, a very light level of it. Where I, I couldn't be in a theater. I love movies. Jared, you know I love movies. I know it. And I love going to the theater. Even bad movies. <laughs> Even bad movies. Yes, sir. <laughs> and, you know, I, I was always at home in a theater. But it was after some trauma. It was after a family member passed away unexpectedly. Mm. I had started to get similar things that you're talking about, like little panic attacks that would happen. The first one happened at church at the end of church. I was like, I am literally like sweating bullets here. I'm super hot. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I thought I was just like hungry or my sugar levels were off, but out of nowhere, nothing triggered it. And then it started to happen in like large crowds. I couldn't take being in large crowds. I couldn't go to my, my wife loves Broadway. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in like vaulted ceiling or vaulted seats in, in mm. Broadway, but they're, they're pretty tight. You want to pack a lot of people in. Yeah. And so I, I just, I would get in there and I would think like, where's the exit? I would have a strategy for like, I know I'm going to feel panicked the entire time. Oh, We went yeah. and saw something and I couldn't even pay attention. She's enjoying herself. She sat right next to me enjoying herself. And I can't for the life of me at all even think about anything besides getting out of there the whole time. Done like an hour yeah. and a half plus intermission. Right. And it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. And what I found was similar. I didn't go through CBD or C- CBD. I'm on a different, different way <laughs> wavelength here. That might, that might actually uh, play some, some role here. That at could some help point. too. Yeah, that could help. <laughs> that is a common joke. I live in California. CBD is very legal. I mean, I guess it's legal in lots of different places. It is. Yeah. It's, um, it's been legalized. Yeah. CBD oil by itself, aside from uh, THC is legal. Right. Yeah. So they're actually using it a lot in different therapies and stuff like that. But the, yeah. the thing I was trying to drive home to was that, my truth had become that when I'm in these scenarios that had been where I struggled, I would essentially tell myself some sort of lie, like I'm going to die or I'm going to like feel a certain way and it would become true. And so we're all struggling. We're all trying to seek out some sort of truth. So my, my method, which was not exactly going through cognitive behavioral therapy, it's probably my own variation of it was, was this thing. It's admit the struggle because we all struggle, identify mm-hmm. the lie and seek the truth. 
right? Yeah. So if every time you're in these scenarios, like there's something you're struggling with, there's some sort of lie you've told yourself and you're believing it. So identify that lie. What is that lie? That's probably what you're doing with this application or this process yeah. of CBT. And then you got to seek the truth, which is not having panic attacks, not feeling like you're going to die in a theater or something like that. Yeah. Mm. Your comments on always being afraid of the panic attack and that like ends up fueling the panic itself. Mm. It's so, so absolutely true. Yeah. Self-fulfilling for sure. Yeah. It, it's self-fulfilling. It's, it's what keeps people in a cycle of panic mm-hmm. and a cycle of anxiety. The thing itself becomes the thing that you're afraid of. Yeah. No, I remember I did that all the time. <laughs> So true. It would even happen to me. Uh, I can remember two occasions when I was driving. So my yeah. wife had to go out of town and I had to drive her down to the, we have two airports here in Houston, the IAH International Airport and Hobby, which is in South Houston. And so Hobby is like an hour away from us. So I knew I had a long drive. I knew we were running late. I knew she was frantic trying to get out on time. And right as I started to drive, I had one of these panic attacks, right? Yeah. And so the entire time I'm driving, all I can think of, and I'm in traffic, all I can think of is like, how can I get out of here? Like, it's it's almost like being trapped. Yeah, yeah. And that's how I felt. I felt trapped. I'm like, I've got to drive my wife safely to this airport. I've got to be there yeah. on the time. I got all this stress. And the moment I dropped her off, I was able to calm down and it all resolved itself. Right. But for that hour, man, I was like in a coffin, it felt like. And it was terrible. Right. And it's because like you're just about to do something and this would be the most inopportune time for it to happen. Right. And that makes it worse. Yeah, it's terrible. It's like, don't don't happen now. Yeah, like don't happen now. Like this is the worst time for it to happen, Mm -hmm. which then makes it the time that happens. Do you think this is similar to habit formation, though? Oh, absolutely. Because that's kind of where I started to resolve some of my issues. Like I started to determine, you know, what was cueing these things was apparent whenever I was in public or certain scenarios that this thing could potentially cue itself up. Right. And there was a natural response was, which was either self-fulfilling like we didn't talk about, or it was natural. Like it really was the truth. I was going to have some sort of attack. Right. And then obviously it would play itself out. Do you think it's like habit formation and change? Or do you think it's like, considering you've been through cognitive behavioral therapy, is it similar to habit formation and change? Yeah. I mean, psychologists call it cognitive restructuring, which is basically where your brain kind of rewires itself. It's similar to what you were talking about before. The neurons, the fire together, you mean? Yeah. A lot of what you can do and what really helps is taking the moment where you feel like you're having some sort of stress or anxiety and then using that as the cue for why your stress and anxiety is illogical and wrong. So if you can use that as like the trigger for your habit formation, it's like really effective. At, at least that's what helped me a lot. Mm. Is that anytime I felt that like flush of adrenaline and that like immediate fear, that was like a good sign that whatever I was worried about was probably wrong. Because like 99% of the time that I ever had that, I just like there wasn't physically anything wrong. And so before, like your habit would be you, you get that cue, which is like the immediate fear. And then you think like, oh crap, like this is such a bad time for this. I can't have this right now. And that makes it worse. And so what you're doing is like you're, you're taking that fear and then you're using that as the trigger. And then your like response to that trigger is the more fear. It's the like buying into it. You're like agreeing with it. And if you can take that fear and then like use that as the trigger to disagree with it, that's like, mm-hmm. that's where you, like at least what unlocked a lot of change for me. Your experience sounds so similar to mine though. I think it's the experience of a lot of people. 
if you're comfortable sharing this, do you have or have you identified anything else that's wrong with you? Like you're, we're talking about mental health, a, a mental concern, mm. something that's in the brain. But what we forget or what we don't know because, hey, we all have brains, but we don't know what they are, how they work, or they call it brain right. science. But, you know, it, get, it gets really geeky and you're like, well, I don't need to know about that. I'm not a doctor. I don't need to know about how my brain works. But what we don't realize is our brain is connected to so many other things in our body, our gut, our heart. You know, obviously our nervous system doesn't just begin with the brainstem and go up to our brain. It's other things. So for me, right. I learned that my problems that I face with what I've shared here were not just simply mental health problems. You know, they weren't mm. believing this lie. It was connected to uh, my thyroid, connected to my diet, connected to other things. So it yeah. wasn't just simply, a, hey, I got a broken brain and that's just it. What, what was it for you? Um, I don't know. I don't think I ever found anything particularly like physically wrong. And that's the thing that's the craziest about it. You have a good diet? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have a perfectly fine diet. I do run a lot, but I ran a lot beforehand too. So it's honestly just breaking that cycle and recognizing when particular thoughts are causing your moods and then using that to break the cycle. I'm fortunate enough that I've I haven't suffered from this circumstance. I've definitely had thoughts that would begin to unravel. It sounds like what you're describing is where you're you're basically building a straw man, right? Like you're you you have one conclusion which may be truth-ish, right? It may have some grounds in reality. You're full on Doug Crawford, truthy. Yeah. Truthy. Yeah, truthy. there you go. And then you build on top of that the next like you conclude on top of an assumption. And maybe that assumption has some grounding in, in reality, but then but the one you concluded on top of it had less grounding, right? And then the next one has less and less until you are panicking over something that, like you said, is not, it's falsy. Yeah. And it sounds like this CBT, this process that you go through is a way of short circuiting that pattern. Like you're, you're cutting it off before you get to the stage at which, you know, it starts to take over. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a fair... Uh, characterization of what you're saying yeah and i wouldn't say that uh like one of the things i'm realizing from quirk is that you don't need to be like diagnosed with a mental health issue for cbt to be effective for you in fact like a lot of the problems in the tech industry of like people having like, imposter syndrome imposter syndrome is like a great example of where this is just a common thing that happens to people where they get some thought in their brain and it may not be correct or logical but it spirals and they start to think about it all the time. And they start to think like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm not good in this particular point or like, I can't do this thing or and like that makes me bad here. And you don't need to be like having severe panic attacks to be benefited from uh, like cognitive behavioral therapy. This episode is brought to you by GoCD. With native integrations for Kubernetes and a Helm chart to quickly get started, GoCD is an easy choice for cloud native teams. With GoCD running on Kubernetes, you define your build workflow and let GoCD provision and scale build infrastructure on the fly for you. GoCD installs as a Kubernetes native application, which allows for ease of operations, easily upgrade and maintain GoCD using Helm, scale your build infrastructure elastically with a new elastic agent that uses Kubernetes conventions to dynamically scale GoCD agents. 
GoCD also has first class integration with Docker registries, easily compose, track, and visualize deployments on Kubernetes. Learn more and get started at gocd.org slash Kubernetes. Again, gocd.org slash Kubernetes. So Evan, like you said, you don't have to be diagnosed with anything to try CBT. It may benefit lots of different people. Yeah. So help us understand what that looks like. Maybe I'm interested in giving this a try, even just to stop some of my thoughts that tend to unravel. What does try CBT look like? How do you do it? So you have a couple options. Like if you just want to do the sort of easiest version, uh, there's a book that you can get that's kind of the book that popularized CBT. And it's by David Burns. Uh, It's called Feeling Good, The New Mood Therapy. And it seems really self-helpy, but it's, it's actually the book that popularized CBT. And it was like written in Uh, like 1980s and it still holds up as quite a good book for just if you want a good overview and understand how to do it and if you want to like actually implement it and like try it you can try quirk and quirk is kind of designed to give you a little introduction of how you do it and it's got a help screen and teaches you how to do it and then if you're really dealing with something that's either life-threatening or dangerous or just you really feel like you need actual help uh, i would definitely recommend going and seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist, or just anybody in your area, like, absolutely. Some bullet points from the publisher's summary, at least on audible.com, is pretty interesting for this book. So recognize what causes your mood swings, nip negative feelings in the bud, deal with guilt, handle hostility and criticism, overcome addiction to love and approval, build self-esteem, feel good every day. It's just some takeaways, some some anticipations of what you may uh, encounter as you read or listen to that book. I should also mention that CBT is like this de facto standard. It's not like some sort of wishy-washy self-help mantra, which is sort of what I had assumed it was beforehand. But like, this is an extremely evidence-based tool. And it has been like one of the most effective treatments for depression and anxiety for like 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, it's just an effective treatment. It's like the gold standard treatment. Like there's literally a study that calls it the gold standard after it's like a meta study that reviews like 200 other studies. If you've gone into any therapist, it's almost certainly what they tried. Just the first thing out of the gate. They might have called it a couple of different other things. Sometimes they call it like uh, the three column technique or catch it, check it, change it, I think is the other term. This is like, this is the first thing you should try. If you're really suffering with something or if you're just dealing with your own issues, yeah, this is the first thing you should try. Well, the good thing is it's self-initiated. Yeah. And what, I, what I've found, at least as, uh, as I've dug into this, like either it's so I kind of got into this stuff, this interesting uh, perspective of brain science and behavioral therapy by way of being really interested in user experience, which I would Jared the, the Emma show is like right up our alley for that reason. So it's like, Uh you know, behavioral economics, behavioral therapy, true brain science, neuroplasticity, uh, neuroscience. Those are all really interesting things. But what you end up finding is that at least just general people, they they feel like like it's not their territory. Right. Like just because it deals with therapy or the brain or something very scientific sounding that they can't be accountable to themselves. They need some sort of 
professional to solve all their problems. And it's true too. To get over certain humps, you definitely need to go see professional help. And this is not an advocate of saying, hey, you can solve all these problems on your own. But the point is, is that yeah, absolutely. there's a lot of this that's very approachable to everybody, you know? Yeah. And the first step really is just admitting that there's a struggle. Yeah. And start to identify, which is what CBT does, is identify the things that you're struggling with and how you feel about those things. And then that's how you begin to remap your brain, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you dig into it, almost everybody will find a place where this is useful for them. Because the experience of being human for most people is just dealing with the way our brains kind of lie to us and the way like you can kind of cycle on some thought. And that's just normal. Like that, that's what everybody feels to varying extent. And like that can get really out of hand, in which case you should definitely see a professional. But it's also just common. What's interesting, too, that you mentioned there is I'm not sure how you worded it, but essentially the, what it made me think of was was whether or not we can trust our memory. And Jared, you can maybe help me out here if there's ever been a time where you've recalled something one way and your wife and or mm. friend, brother, sister, whatever, recalled it a different way. And so you were both there during the experience, whatever it might be. But how often can we truly trust our brain's memory? Because it's so it requires so much stuff like your autobiographical memory, being able to yeah. understand that you're in the present, past or future, for example, and all these different factors that, you know, begin to weigh in on whether or not our memories are truly true, meaning that's how they actually worked out. You can see in the courtroom where yeah. it's yeah. incredibly difficult to get two eyewitnesses to agree on something that happened. Even take apart the side like one person saw it from their perspective. Take perspective out of it just on the facts of what happened. Just the memory aspect of remembering exactly something that happened mm -hmm. is incredible. It's so difficult that you can't get two people to agree. And in fact, we have jokes like if they do agree completely 100% on everything, they're probably lying, you know, because that's how hard it is. Yeah. How, how weak our memories are mm -hmm. to the details of things. Yeah. So let's talk about Quirk a little bit. I'm, I'm looking at the, the UI on the homepage, quirk.fyi. If you're interested in the app right now, of course, in the show notes, if you want to just click on a link. And the UI for this that you have displaying in the, in the animated GIF here or the video is basically you have a thought, which is a text area, what's going on. This is where you type in the thought that you are having. This is your, I assume that's the catch it. You're catching your thought right there. And then you're checking it so that underneath that you have the cognitive distortion. So you're, you're going to attach one or more cognitive distortions to that thought. So this is really the process by which you're judging it, right? You're saying is this thought what kind of a thought is this that I'm having? And there's a whole bunch of these distortions. Could you help us out a little bit on some of these? Because there's all or nothing thinking, there's catastrophizing, there's emotional reasoning, there's fortune telling. I'm assuming these are like official CBT terms, labeling, mind reading, and so on. Yeah. Do any of these need further explanations for somebody who's downloaded the app? Or maybe this is described in the app and just not on this page right here. But how do I know what's what, what's other blaming, what's overgeneralization, et cetera? So they're definitely described within the app. There's like a help screen that you can go through and check through that. And I definitely recommend anybody who's trying it out to do that. But all of these distortions, they're effectively logical fallacies. And one of the problems that I had when I was making this is that people kind of forget which ones are which. Mm. But they are like they are like a set of things that like psychiatrists have determined that these are the ones that most likely cause people's problems. And it's often that people don't realize when they have this sort of logical fallacy or cognitive distortion um, in their thoughts that's causing that problem. And so one of the things Quirk tries to do is it's like very intentional about 
the branding of cognitive distortions. So like every cognitive distortion has an emoji and every emoji is like uh, the same emoji for wherever you go uh, on the website. There's like that emoji follows every usage of the term of, of any like cognitive distortion. So like catastrophizing is the head exploding emoji. Um, mm-hmm. And on the app, it's the same way um, in every header. It's the same way. And it's there to try and give you like a visual understanding of it and to try and make sure that you remember it. Because that's like one of the biggest problems with cognitive behavioral therapy, at least in Quirk, that people kind of don't realize this. And there's a lot of like terminology and stuff that you have to do to kind of get into this and to understand it. But it's all this stuff that you have to do at the same time that you're like going to the app with like a serious issue. Like your brain power is already at its maximum capacity because by definition, you're using this app at like a really difficult time. Right. So part of like the app's job is to like get you to the place where you need to be to understand just enough so that you can record your thought and kind of get to like a a more mentally healthy spot. But it has to do that at the same time that it's competing with like other parts of your brain power. And so Quirk has like a really big focus on being very lightweight because if it's too heavy and like tries to do too much, you won't record anything. And it'll have the same problem that like worksheets have, which is people pull them out and then don't actually do anything or they don't pull them out at all because Mm -hmm. it's like very a thing that you have to do. Imagine people will have these kind of thoughts while driving, maybe when out with friends, especially driving, I think it's probably very difficult. We all know the texting while driving problems that are causing crashes are around the world. Please don't quirk while driving. <laughs> yeah, don't quirk while driving. Pull over to the side of the road. I mean, what's the advice there? Maybe you need a dictation. Uh, maybe it's built into the OS or something, but I could see where that would be difficult. I think you can do it with the OS, but definitely don't quirk while driving. Yeah. Quirk's kind of goal in a lot of the design of it. This topic is so like wildly serious and like really important for so many people's lives. And it's like a a very important, serious topic. And yet the branding and design of Quirk is very like derpy and like really kind of silly. Mm -hmm. And that's like on purpose. Well, even the word is kind of a funny, lighthearted word. Something's quirky, you know? Yeah, it's the Quirk. Quirk is called Quirk because it's kind of like a little silly. And Quirk's little mascot is these like three little cute looking derpy things. And that's kind of on purpose. Because every other mental health app comes to you, or like any mental health tech in general, it comes to you with this very serious user interface and very serious look. And it says, look how important and medical I am and look how serious I am. And it's coming to you at this point where you're thinking these really awful thoughts. And those thoughts are like what you consider at the time to be the most important and most serious thing. But part of cognitive behavioral therapy is recognizing that the thoughts you're thinking aren't as serious and aren't as weighty and important as you think of them at the time. Because the reason why they're causing you so much distress is because you're putting so much emphasis on it. And so Quirk's job is to kind of try and bring that emphasis down a little bit Mm -hmm. and make you realize that like, whoa, 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 hold on. This thing you're wildly freaking out over, this like thing you're quite panicking over, that's not as serious as you think it is. But at the same time, like it is very serious because we built this whole app just for this. And this is like a real big problem that like you pay to go see like a therapist about and like causes people very significant portions of their life. But 
you have to reconcile that with the fact that the way to get better is to realize that it's not as serious as you think it is. And that's really tricky. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like talking somebody off a ledge and the ledge may not be the true ledge, just more or less like this, you know, in the brain ledge that, yeah. you know, you're taking the, the serious thing, so to speak, as you just mentioned. It's, it's, it's almost like the first line, like if you, if you lack another human being near you to have a relationship with and to remind you of your truth, which is a huge part of relationship. You know, because what you believe, Evan, and what I believe about what you believe may not be the same, as we just kind of mentioned about yeah. how we trust even our brain's memory. You know, what your your perspective on the scenario and my perspective on the scenario, you may be in freak out mode. And I'm like, dude, chill out. You know, yeah. like you're catastrophizing yeah, exactly. or you're fortune telling or whatever the application does. Yeah. So a human might do that. And what you're asking, what you seem to be doing with this application is to supplant a piece of technology that has potentially human characteristics that says, Hey, you're not actually on a ledge. You're, you, you know, yeah. you're labeling or you're mind reading. Yeah. It's, it's, it's exactly that. It's exactly that. It's the, it's replacing a little bit of the human touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. Hmm. This leads me into a direction, a potential direction for quirk that could be catastrophizing. It could be terrible, <laughs> but it might be kind of great. So I'll throw this out there and see what you guys think, which is you're kind of removing the human element. You're kind of replacing what would be a, therapist helping you identify what's wrong with this thought or a friend or a family member. Um, and I'm thinking, what if there was community? Like what if it wasn't so cold yeah. and you had some sort of way of uh, like anonymously submitting your thoughts to the community? Because over time, I think sounds like CBT, you get better and better at it and you get probably pretty good. Everybody's more objective with somebody else's thought than with their own because it's inherently subjective, right? You're the subject of the thought. Um, what if you could submit it for other people to apply their idea? They could identify the cognitive distortions in the thought and you get some sort of like real time feedback from others. That is interesting. That is not a bad idea. That's quite interesting. Oh, all right. I thought you were going to say that's a terrible idea. <laughs> nah. Most ideas Jared has are not generally terrible. <laughs> oh, thanks, Adam. I'll take that as a compliment. It's a very nice compliment. Yeah, it was. It was meant to be a, a funny compliment. Yeah, it was very careful. Generally, <laughs> good ideas. They're good. Now they, they could have some backfires, but if you built it well, and if you had, because it's to a certain degree, I wonder if you could get better because CBT is such a trained thing. I wonder if you could actually train your own thought process by judging other people's thoughts, just like mm. you could your own thought. Mm-hmm. I have to get a psychologist to answer that one. <sighs> Uh, well, something to tee that up real quick. Uh, behind the scenes, we do have a plan for a show in the very near future called Brain Science. You may have heard the previews at the end of our shows recently. Yes. And may have even emailed us about it with some uh, exclamation points after seeing Brain Science in the subject line. Super cool. But something that uh, Meryl Reese, the doctor I'm working with the, of clinical psychology, something she says often is you have to put your lid on, which means your frontal lobe. That's what makes us humans. Like, Mammals have the mammalian brain, the, the brain stem, then there's a, a different portion of the brain. But this front part, you know, the behind the forehead area is, is where you kind of carry most of your cognitive load. That's where really a lot of your human behaviors, your human thoughts come into play. And what often happens probably in these scenarios where somebody is in these deep fears is that they can't, they're not thinking with their full brain, their frontal lobe, so to speak. They're thinking sort of just brain stem only, very survival mechanisms like don't die scenarios you know they can't put their full lid on that's something she says yeah 
So the purpose, though, of this application is to change somebody's thought, right? The You say here at the end, finally, we get to the entire point of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is changing your thoughts. So not only is it to to supplant potentially a relationship in a scenario, Jared, your idea of, of actually putting some anonymous humans behind this is pretty interesting. But the point is, is to sort of identify the lie and then help you seek some sort of truth, the change the thought portion of it. Mm-hmm. How are you determining, like when you put this text in, you know, this example, I believe is like, you know, because I took too long, I'll bet I failed the interview, you know? And so how are you taking this kind of input and turning it into not only, you know, these kind of distortion options, you know, catastrophizing, fortune telling, for example, in a way that enables those using this to change their thoughts. So one of the things CBT does that the app doesn't do very well, but hopefully will in the future soon, is that it says that there's like, core beliefs that are causing your problem. So you might have something like, I failed that interview and that's really bad. And you might think that like, ah, the problem that you're trying to, or the thing that you need to change is the, I failed the interview problem. But that's not necessarily true because the reason you have failed the interview or the reason you think that you failed the interview and that you're worried that that's so bad is because you've connected yourself to this career success. And so like one way you can kind of tell and figure out what is like your deep problem that's causing this is you can ask a what if true. So like, let's say you failed that interview uh, or you think that you failed that interview. And then you say like, what if true? What if I failed that interview? Um, and then you might think like, well, if I failed that interview, then I won't get any other interviews. And then if I fail, won't get any other interviews, then like I won't, you know, I won't ever get a job in this industry. Um, and like, if that's the thing, whatever you end up with, that's the thought that you need to change because that's the thing that's driving everything else. And so if you can get to that thought, then you can like challenge it and say like, okay, this isn't actually true and it doesn't need to cause me the stress that I'm giving it. And then at the end, you can write a different thought to this situation and you can acknowledge what's true because you shouldn't lie to yourself because that's not helping yourself anyway. So you can acknowledge that like maybe you didn't do as well as you wanted to in that interview. Um, And that maybe that means that like you can acknowledge that it's true, that some parts of it are true, but at the end of it, you need to find your way towards realizing that it's not as important as you think it is to like be a successful programmer or something like you don't need to be that to be like happy because lots of people aren't programmers and lots of people aren't like this thing. But it also doesn't mean that you have to like give up being a programmer because lots of people are just like fine. Like they're like average level programmers and they're quite happy and perfectly fine. This episode is brought to you by Git Prime. Git Prime helps software teams accelerate their velocity and release products faster by turning historical Git data into easy to understand insights and reports. Because past performance predicts future performance, Git Prime can examine your Git data to identify bottlenecks, compare sprints and releases over time, and enable data-driven discussions about engineering and product development. Ship faster because you know more, not because you're rushing. Get started at gitprime.com slash changelog. That's G-I-T-P-R-I-M-E dot com slash changelog. Again, gitprime.com slash changelog. So 
Evan, one of our hopes, I guess, coming out of this show is that people listening to this that maybe identify with the struggles that we've mentioned or even relate any little bit to the things we've been talking about. If if CBT is truly, you know, self-administering, at least based on Quirk, you know, the next logical step might be to try the app. What's what's the first step? How do you actually try the app? What Do you go into the app store, download it? What's the first step? So it's available on Android and iOS. But what I would recommend is if you're interested in this, go to quirk.fyi and read the description that's there first, because it'll give you an overview of how to actually do this. And I think that little bit of education is particularly useful for it to be helpful for you. So I would definitely recommend that. And then there's a download link at the bottom. Mm, That makes it easy. Yeah. Download it in the App Store, download on Google Play. Uh, fairly easy to get. I mean, there's some education behind it, like what is fortune telling and things like that. But that's a good first step Yeah. in terms of, you know, plus also if you're a software developer, if you're listening to this, you're probably a software developer. And if you're if you're not, hey, welcome. Uh, we talk about software here uh, and open source if you didn't know about that. But uh, it is also open source, which means that if you desire to, you can also give some feedback. But what I understand, too, that there's a second component to that, that you actually want to talk to people engaging in mental health. So professionals out there that are wanting to take part, the cool thing about open source is you can actually influence Quirk and you know share some ideas with Evan. What do you think, Evan? Yeah, so there's actually two things. So if you're like a mental health professional, if you're a therapist or you're a psychiatrist um, and you want to help the app, uh, like send me an email. Uh, my email is ejc at quirk.fyi. And if you're a mental health professional or a therapist or a psychiatrist and you're interested in helping this project, please send me an email because I do not have a mental health background. Like I I don't have a degree. So I'm definitely looking for professional help if anybody is interested. And secondly, if you're a researcher um, and you're looking to study cognitive behavioral therapy or you're looking to study the app, one of the things Quirk is trying to do is be both private and public. So by private, I mean that the the thought records, the things you store in the app, the thoughts, they're never shared anywhere. They store on the device. They don't go anywhere. All your private information is not collected. But all the usage statistics, which would be collected by the App Store or your OS, is shared publicly. So anonymous usage statistics, like how many people are using this app, um, like how often are people using this app, stuff like that, that's shared in a CSV file, which you can get. And if you're interested in doing research on Quirk, this is just open for you. Uh, it's actually open for anybody, but uh, like specifically if you're trying to find the effectiveness of this app, especially when compared to like worksheets or other forms of th- collecting thought records, this is for you. Those kind of people that are looking for this, they know they're looking for this. I mean, I'm not sure how often mental health professionals cross over to the software world, but that seems pretty interesting <laughs> to me, especially when it comes to data. I mean, yeah. what is your awareness of like data pools or data lakes or anything data related when it comes to this kind of thing and those who are professionals in the mental health field? Um, what do you mean by that? Meaning like, where do they go to get their data? Like, do they just simply rely upon research? This isn't exactly research, but it is data and it's true. Yeah. Um, I mean, people set up studies, so that's one option. Um, a lot of the stuff is done on paper. So in the past, it's been particularly difficult to do real studies on it. And there are a couple like technological solutions for cognitive behavioral therapy and therapy in general. Mm -hmm. But as far as I know, a lot of them are very proprietary and don't really share their information. And they might commission their own studies of it, but there's not a really solid third party impartial studies that I've seen. Um, And typically when I was doing research and looking at what outside people are doing research on mental health apps, 
they're typically like going to the app store and collecting the amount of ratings on the app. And they frequently don't even know the amount of downloads that the app is getting. Uh, so the actual data out there isn't super great, mm. which is part of the reason why Quirk is public with its information. So if you're trying to figure out whether or not this stuff works, here you go. Mm -hmm. This is the, the tool. Is there ever a point that data, you know, since given this uh, concern of anonymity or very private concerns for, yeah. you know, your users or whatnot, is there ever a point that data is not anonymous? Like, are you getting it, the data and then anonymizing it or is it always anonymous to you? It's always anonymous. I'm not recording like, well, for one thing, Quirk doesn't have user accounts and we have no way to connect it to you. Uh, so it's stored as like an anonymous ID, which is basically just a UUID that's associated with you. Um, and that's it. That's all we, we have. We do collect uh, the phone that you're using and the language you're using on. But the information that will be shared won't have the anonymous ID, I think. Yeah. I don't remember whether or not that's a thing yet. Basically, my goal is to not share any personally identifiable information and not to collect it. And the thoughts themselves, especially like the most private information, is just never even collected. So it's just parsed in the real time, uh, given some of these responses to sort of parse through and whatnot. It's never stored. Yeah. And the code is also open source. So if I'm doing this wrong or somebody disagrees or would like to audit it, feel free. Yeah. Um, like it's all collected in very openly. Uh, so if there's something that I'm doing wrong, please let me know. Yeah, one thing to mention, too, is that uh, you mentioned languages being something you collect. And one interesting fact here is when it launched on Hacker News, it was translated in two days into seven different languages. Can you kind of share the background on that? Yeah. Uh, so I remember when it first launched, there were a number of people who like made a GitHub issue that said, I would like this app in whatever language. And I was very skeptical. Like I couldn't imagine that anybody would actually huh. be willing to like spend the time to go and translate this. And then I had a friend who had like done some localization work before. Um, and so he went through and uh, like set up the process of localization. So basically moved all the string files over into like a JSON blob. And then people just translated it. And it was incredible. That's awesome. Because like people didn't just translate it. They like went and looked up like the research of what cognitive distortions are called in their own language. So they didn't like do a literal translation. They did like real research. And that's amazing. Yeah. That's like absolutely amazing. And it's 10 languages now. So like uh, seven in the first two days, but now it's like 10. And uh, there was one this morning. Which languages? Uh, I'm not going to get all of them. But let's see. Uh, there is a Chinese localization. There's a uh, Russian, I want to say. There's a Polish. There's a Spanish. There's a uh, Portuguese. There's uh, a Norwegian this morning. And I'm definitely forgetting. I'm forgetting. I know there's 10, but I don't remember all of them off the top of my head. Where's the list that of the languages? That way, if, if someone's listening saying, hey, is my language listed? If not, I want to help. Uh, you can go to GitHub and it's on that under the contributors list. I have a list of like all the translators. Uh, I think the Norwegian and the Portuguese isn't updated yet, but ah, there gotcha. is Norwegian and Portuguese. There you go. Right in the readme. Great place for it. Yep. So if you speak another language um, other than English and you are interested in translating it, there's a whole like readme file. That's uh, a translations.md. You can look, click on that. There's a whole explanation of how to translate it. Uh, even if you're like not super familiar with Git, if you are comfortable using the GitHub user interface, uh, you can translate it just from the GitHub user interface. Yeah, or even open up an issue and say, hey, I, I want to help translate, but I could use some guidance or some help. Yeah, I'm happy to help. I'm absolutely happy to help. And if you do translate it, uh, there's stickers in it. I will, I will mail you a sticker. Oh, gosh. Um, because <laughs> absolutely amazing. That's enough right there. I mean. 
most people would like fight somebody for a sticker. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. Well, what about you, Jared? Have you fought anybody for a sticker before? Uh, not today. Not. Today. <laughs> <laughs> what about resources, Evan? Like, what uh, what got you to? I mean, obviously, we started the call by talking about your personal perspective. So this is a scratch your own age kind of scenario here. So it, it would make sense. Right. But you know, not only did you go through the process of identifying that you've got some mental health challenges that you needed to go and seek either self-help or professional help, but then you got educated enough to actually make something that was useful for other people, yourself included in that, in that useful people. Yeah. What were some of the resources you used to learn about CBT? Was it just simply therapy or did you read books? What'd you do? Uh, so I did read the book, It's Feeling Good, The New Mood Therapy by David Burns, which is like the pinnacle book on it. Definitely the right thing to read. But to be honest, the amount of resources available for cognitive behavioral therapy are kind of slim. And that's one of the things I would like to try and do is to create like open source resources for cognitive behavioral therapy, which is why Quirk is quirk.fyi. And I would recommend that if you're in a particularly bad situation, you should go see a therapist because they will be the best resource for you. They'll be somebody you can ask about questions for and they're the right person. I love the uh, .fyi domain, by the way. When uh, Jared, I wasn't aware. I didn't even look up the site. It's terrible. Uh, in mid-show, I'm like looking up the site, quirk.fyi, when you mentioned the URL. And that's the best, in my opinion. Like, I love yeah. the fact that you, it's like we said before, it's serious, but you want to approach it in a way that sort of like, you know, calms things down, you know, doesn't make it so serious that, you know, it's like the, a medical app that's blue or a certain color that identifies with medical, for example, you know, yeah. like you're sort of like, you know, I can identify back with me and this isn't exactly totally appropriate. So I'll use the acronym. <laughs> um, and I had an acronym that whenever I was in my scenarios that I would say to myself, C-T-F-O. And if you're smart enough, you may be able to decrypt that, uh, chill the out, whatever, you know, that was, that's what I would have to tell myself. Cause I would have to like identify with this, you know, it's just crazy. But, and in that case it was whimsical, it was, you know, quirky, so to speak, you know, so you need to sort of like take this serious thing, but not make it so serious. So dot FYI is, is an amazing, and I don't even know dot FYI was available to even use. I, I got so many ideas not there <laughs> for, for some stuff, man. We'll have to do some fun stuff with dot FYI. It's a good domain. Uh, lots of stuff available for it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think like a long time ago, I was really interested in game design. And there's this concept in game design called juice, which is like anytime something like wobbles or spins or buzzes. And it's the things that make games feel fun intrinsically. And that was like the reason it's a reason for a lot of decisions in Quirk. Like if you open up the app and you go to the settings, uh, there's a little like asterisk in the top. Um, and then each setting has a little asterisk in the like header, like subheader. And it's part of like trying to be a little bit interesting and trying to be a little bit juicy in the game design terminology which is just like like little bit of fun that you can have with the user interface and so like on the website if you click on quirk.fyi and then you go to about or you go to app it will change it to be fyi about the app or fyi about quirk it's like little changes but unique enough it could be animation it could be tweening it could be yeah just simply title changes anything to sort of like change yeah to make it a slightly more satisfactory or more fun or that kind of stuff yeah interesting it's it's a little little extra bits is this new to you jared this this juicing this concept of juice game design i've never heard it called juice so yes yeah it's sometimes also called game feel if they consider these aspects of game design yeah mm. i'm over here thinking is there a dot btw 
TLD? Because that's what I want. Yes. Honestly, yes. Is there really? That's good. That's right up there. I don't know. But I mean, FYI, if there's an FYI, there's got to be a VT dub. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of my most commonly used acronyms. This is why we need to gather like $100,000 and get a TLD or however much they cost to make. (laughs) That's right. We just become a registrar. We can uh, can have our own BTW. Yeah. So we've talked about the open sourceness. We talked about the translations, which is awesome. Love seeing that, getting this into more people's hands in different languages. And it seems like the kind of app where the specific words are so necessary, but there's not like there's a lot of text from what I've seen. At least. So it seems like it's reasonable to do a translation relatively quickly if you are well familiar with the language that you're translating into. You talked about the metrics and how those are going to be open or are open to those. What else is looking down the road for Quirk besides my amazing, awesome community features <laughs> which adam loves aside from that what else are you looking to do with this is it is it kind of done it has it done its job we know it's helping quite nah. a bit but what else do you see down the road for quirk i want to help people find therapists because a lot of people who are using quirk aren't seeing a therapist and that's like a good opportunity to get a whole bunch of folks who probably need a little bit of extra help and they're in like the front door because i think there's like a lot of things that keep people from seeing a therapist because I went many, many years without ever seeing a therapist. And part of that is stigma. Part of it is because it's not like a medicine you take. You think that it might not work or that it's not like as evidence-based or effective. And so at the moment, a lot of the people that use Quirk are kind of in the front door in that they've stuck their head in. They're like, hey, what is this thing? And a lot of those folks could probably benefit from seeing a therapist, but Quirk has no way to direct them there at the moment. And because like Quirk is made by me, who's just like some programmer dude, there's like a responsibility to make sure that they can see somebody professionally. And so one next step for Quirk will be to help people find therapists, or at least to help them find like cognitive behavioral therapists, people who are like very specific about this. So if you are a cognitive behavioral therapist, and you would like to be listed on Quirk's website, let me know because I will probably have a listing somewhere and probably that is in process. Or if you have ideas about good ways of implementing that in the application, on the website, et cetera. It seems like there's lots of opportunities for involvement and help and definitely going towards something that's helping people, as it says at the bottom of the page, really feel better. I love Mm -hmm. that. You really can feel better. It seems like it's uh, doing that for you and it's doing that for others. And it sounds like the more languages, the more features, etc., it can reach a lot of people. I, earlier on, you said and you emphasized how free it is, both free as an open source and free as in beer, as in like free, no cost. That seems like something that's very important to you. Do you want to expand on why that is? I mean, this is obviously a place where it's providing a real value. You could probably make some cash with it. So originally, it actually was paid. Um, like when I when I first released mm. it, uh, I charged like two dollars for it and made a couple thousand dollars off it, which is cool. You know, there's like mm-hmm. people coming in. Right. But at a certain point, there wasn't as much. I don't think it is useful to trap something that is so incredibly helpful for people behind like a two dollar paywall. And a two dollar paywall is like nothing. Like it's not that much. People spend you know more than that on their coffee. But if that two dollar paywall is the thing that keeps you from finding something that like actually helps you because for me like this was the thing that made me go from having two panic attacks a week to not having one for three months and then not having another one for three months before that and like if it's going to be a two dollar paywall 
that's going to keep you from getting there, then like, why is there a paywall? Mm-hmm. Like, let's just get rid of that. It's so much more beneficial. The value created for everybody is so much better than like the thousand dollars that thousand dollars spread over like several months. Right. Which just it isn't that important. It's not as important as just like helping people that actually need it. Yeah. Helping people like I were. So I think the application is like the tip of the iceberg. And there's so much beneath the surface that, you know, the true value is the open door yeah. that the application brings. And I agree with you on the, I mean, to some people, $2 isn't much, but when you multiply it by, let's say half a million or a million, it starts to get to a larger number if that could ever be the potential of it. So, and it's not even the affordance, it's the fact that it's a roadblock between actually right. trying something and not. And we are used to, especially on app stores, on mobile phones, the commoditization of apps has brought the price down to zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so any price, people will turn their nose up, even if this could help make them actually feel better in their lives. It's almost like a trust builder, even, you know? Yeah, for sure. Because if you're paying for it, it's like, why are they, why two bucks for this? And is that their motive? What is their motive? And so by yeah. pulling this $2 off the table, you're sort of opening yourself up to a question of what your true motive and your true motive is to help. Yeah. In a lot of cases, people in these scenarios, they need hope. Hope of change is so significant to actually enabling change. Like if you have no hope, you're hopeless and you tend to be more negative. And I think that you're right. The two bucks is such a barrier to pull off of to enable hope. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that I'm against people taking money to help people. Like, sure. Like if you go see a therapist, a therapist is going to charge you for their services. And I'm not saying that like a therapist should do that for free. Financial motivations aren't inherently like bad because people still need to eat. Mm-hmm. But if like the relative amount of money that you can make from having a paid app on the app store versus the overall amount of value that you can do, at least in the case of like quirks, the app, I just didn't think that was as useful. That there's more value. That's why I really like the idea of you adding, uh, you know, a, a cadre of mental health professionals behind this at some point or, or, you know, being open to that. I think that's, yeah. you know, if we're talking, you know, forecasting some financial opportunities here, you know, some some ways, then that's a way you could get there because the the open door and invitation, I agree, I think is better off and has more value being free yeah, in all senses of the word, not just simply at cost, but as we describe what free means. Yeah. But you know, I think there's an opportunity in other ways that still you can provide that value, but in ways that lead people to change and lead people to solving some of these problems and the base application itself of what it is remains to be the way it is, which is free. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Like if I was Talkspace, Talkspace is like an online therapy company. I would release something like Quirk and give it to everybody. Because one, um, it helps people tremendously. And two, like mm-hmm. it would it would like both be useful for the people who are currently seeing therapists because it's useful if you're seeing a therapist. Um, and it's also like a front door. It's like, hello, this is a thing that you can do and it actually is effective. Right. You know, given what you've shared here, what's some variation of the future you'd like to see? Have you thought about that? Where are you at with where things are going? Uh, to be honest, I go where people tell me to. Everything that Quirk has built so far is just people using it and then asking for things. So I don't plan too far ahead. I just kind of go where what people have asked for. And so recently people have asked for translations. And so 
made sure that it is translated in a bunch of different languages. And like another thing people have asked for is like a lock screen because these are really private information. And like sometimes other people are using your phone and like you don't want to necessarily have somebody like open up the app because it's got a cute icon and then all of a sudden see your deepest, darkest secrets. So that's something that's coming down the line. Uh, And the other thing is stuff that you guys were mentioning that like there's a lot of stuff you have to learn. And so improving the education experience is better. Uh, Like the thing that stresses me out the most is that uh, a lot of people don't look at the help within the app or don't realize it's there. Like from people I've talked to, they just didn't realize there was a help screen in the app, which probably is my fault and something that needs to be a little bit better and noticeable uh, because I think it's harder to get the value out of it without like having the education behind it. So education, probably another big piece. Well, Evan, thank you so much for sharing one, your personal perspective. For sure. I mean, I I really appreciate you being open about, Yeah, and I I guess maybe even thanking me too. Hey, yeah. Yeah, you did too. That was great. Because I was, I never share that kind of stuff. You know, like this, Jared and I, you know, on this show, we're we're less the talkers and more the facilitators, you know? And so I, you know, it's not often I get to share personal attributes about me in those, in that realm. So no, I think you should. It's good. Anyways, I'm done patting myself on the back. Thank you, Evan, for sharing your thoughts. I I appreciate that. We need people to be vulnerable in those ways in environments where they can be vulnerable and not be judged or berated or told they're wrong or whatever. Thank you. You know, so. Yeah. And also thank you for the freeness of this in all senses of the word, the openness of this, because I think uh, the things we just shared here is, is super crucial to uh, some change in people's lives and providing that level of hope. I love what you've done here and I'm glad you reached out to us to share this with the community. Thanks. Anything in closing you want to share with the community? Any, any core takeaways, any, any calls to action, anything left on the table we haven't put on? Um, basically if you are a mental health professional and you want to help, uh, reach out to me. And if you're a developer and you want to help, there's definitely some features and bugs that need fixed. And if you are a translator or somebody who speaks another language and you'd like to translate it into a language that it doesn't exist in, also reach out because uh, this project needs all the help we can <laughs> get. Thank you so much. We'll put your email in the show notes, but remind us again what your email address is. EJC at quirk.fyi. And if for some reason you're listening to that and you're driving or anything uh, where you would be dangerously trying to type. Remember that? Check the show notes. It's there. Don't worry. We have pretty good show notes. And, and hey, hey, by the way, speaking of open source, if you want to help us improve our show notes and or the translations, uh, the transcripts, not translations, like a translations on the brain, the transcripts from these podcasts, those mm-hmm. are both open source. You go to the episode page of any of our podcasts. There's a neat little edit link there that takes you to GitHub. Uh, this does assume you have some GitHub knowledge, but if for some reason you don't and you want to reach out, we're pretty easy to get a hold of as well. Editors at changelaw.com, and we are happy to to invite anyone into this community and happy to help anybody that comes along. So thank you for listening, Evan. Thank you for sharing, and uh, we really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Changelog. Hey, guess what? We have discussions on every single episode now. So head to changelog.com to discuss this episode. And if you want to help us grow this show, reach more listeners and influence more developers, do us a favor and give us a rating or review in iTunes or Apple Podcasts. If you use Overcast, give us a star. If you tweet, tweet a link. If you make lists of your favorite podcasts, include us in it. Of course, thank you to our sponsors, DigitalOcean. 
GoCD, and Get Prime. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner, Rollbar, our monitoring service, and Linode, our cloud server of choice. This episode is hosted by myself, Adam Stachowiak, and Jared Santo, and our music is done by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you want to hear more episodes like this, subscribe to our master feed at changelog.com master, or go into your podcast app and search for Changelog Master. You'll find it. Thank you for tuning in this week. We'll see you again soon. because you've stuck in to the end of the show as promised here's a preview of brain science our upcoming podcast coming out very soon the easiest way to subscribe is to subscribe to our master feed at the changelog.com master get all of our podcasts in one single feed plus some extras that only hit the master feed including brain science Brain Science is a podcast for the curious we're exploring the inner workings of the human brain so we can understand things like behavior change habit formation, mental health, and this thing we call the human condition. It's hosted by myself, Adam Stachowiak, and Muriel Reese, a doctor in clinical psychology. It's brain science applied, not just how does the brain work, but how do we apply what we know about the brain to better our lives? Here we go. I think that's the most interesting thing I find with this subject is I've lived most of my life, well, I've lived all my life with a brain for one, uh, but I've lived most of my life not even knowing or thinking about how I how it operates. And so my curiosity comes from, okay, now that I'm I'm aware that the brain is the most important organ in my body, without it, nothing else exists in terms of like being able to operate. It's the primary source of all things that makes our body our, our body. I, I begin to think, okay, well, now how does it actually work? You know, so that I can right. understand different things about my life, my personality, why I love, why I hate, why I like, why I dislike, you know, all these different things, habits, uh, drive, uh, you know, willpower, all these different things play into that. And I begin to think like, okay, how can I know more about my brain? And when you mention these worn paths and these grooves, that means like whenever I'm mulling over a thought or having anxiety, the thing that I'm mulling over or having anxiety about becomes more and more true or more and more real as my neurons fire together based on what you said here with the power of thoughts is that, is that if I keep thinking that way, it, it becomes more true to me than maybe somebody else because I've worn the path. Is that accurate to say? You're spot on. If I'm to draw an analogy, it would really be that our thoughts are the lens through which we see our world mm. and make sense of it, which is how people can have such varied perspectives. The thoughts we have are really that powerful. If you can imagine them creating the fabric of so much of your world. And like I mentioned earlier about, you know, sort of filing things according to our feelings, because we're more apt to remember things according to feelings. And so we want to be aware of the sort of circular nature of my thoughts and my feelings and that like how I feel creates certain thoughts and certain thoughts create certain feelings. And so if I want to feel different, I really need to do different and I need to think different because all of this is energy, right? I mean, you ever walk into a a room or an interaction with an individual and it just sort of feels off and you're thinking like, what did I miss? Mm -hmm. Or like, I couldn't put my finger on it, but 
something was off because there's there's feelings and you catch vibes because emotions are energy and thoughts just like the the neurons that fire together that's you know electricity in our brain mm. it's a certainly a deep subject which i'm just barely familiar with but basically our our brain is you know everything is electricity as you're saying you know there's this it's um, mm-hmm. it's our brain being able to somehow miraculously be able to process this electricity into thoughts, memories, recall, uh, autobiographical, understanding time, you know, past, present, future, all this different stuff. And somehow these electrical charges throughout our entire body at the cellular level as well as the brain level power us. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, it's it truly is literally energy. It is. I mean, so... One of the things that is important to, to know when it comes to neurons is they abide by the all or nothing rule. And what I mean by that is that they either fire or they don't. Wow. So sort of like that thing at the carnival with the hammer and you smack the weighted plate and it either goes to the top to ding or it doesn't. <laughs> That's how neurons are. Gotcha. They get to a sort of threshold of excitement and then they fire or they don't. And so being able to be aware of the thoughts I think for example if I'm if I am having a really rough day like maybe I pay attention to what I'm thinking about like am I thinking about a loss that I went through am I thinking about a really challenging problem that I don't know how to overcome or maybe it's a relationship that I wanted to go differently and then I don't feel very good and maybe my stomach starts to hurt and then I maybe start to get a headache you know all of our thoughts contribute to our own internal systems and they shape who we are too you know like like i said earlier um if i'm mulling over something or if i'm anxious about something i just can't stop thinking about it it to some degree can even reshape my personality because i think that that's what we what we might call moods right if i'm in a bad mood it might be because i have an experience going on in my brain or my thoughts that I can't seem to shake away that's bringing me into a negative state. You know, my perspective in that scenario is that I can't get these bad thoughts out of my brain or I can't stop being anxious or having anxiety about something. And therefore I yell at my wife or I'm not so nice to my son because my mood is, is changed by my thought patterns. Yeah, you're spot on. And this is what I I think it's so important that we can understand that it's really possible to change these Mm -hmm. because if you can recognize like, oh, I'm not really upset with my wife or my son, (laughs) I'm feeling bad, Mm -hmm. then again, I can put my lid on and go, what other options do I have available to me? Like maybe I need to go work out. Maybe I need to go write down some of what is in my mind so that I can change some of those thoughts. Or maybe I need to do some meditation or talk to a friend. This is how we cope with some of those, those negative thoughts and negative feelings as well. That's a preview of Brain Science. If you love where we're going with this, send us an email to get on the list to be notified the very moment this show gets released. Email us at editors at changelaw.com. In the subject line, put in all caps, Brain Science, with a couple bangs if you're really excited. You can also subscribe to our master feed to get all of our shows in one single feed. Head to changelaw.com slash master. 
or search in your podcast app for Change Hall Master. You'll find it. Subscribe, get all of our shows, and even those that only hit the master feed. Again, changelaw.com slash master.